Today, we're talking to Matt, co-founder and CTO at Jebit, about his founding journey and more. You're listening to Joel Beasley, Modern CTO. What's up, Matt? Hey, Joel. Dude, this is awesome. I'm I'm super excited. When I was prepping for the show, I was like, how do I pronounce this name? So how do I say the name of the company? Jebit. Jebit. And where did that name come from? So it was actually one of the original, original founders, uh, like before I was even a part of it. Uh, so it started, it started out of a college dorm room. And one of the founders' names was Jeb. And I believe the company was originally called Added Up. And we got a cease and desist from Bank of America. And so we were searching for new names. And uh, our CEO, Tom's mom, suggested, oh, well, why don't you call it Jebit? No idea how she came upon that, but it resonated and it stuck around. Nice. Well, if Jeb is like the survey guy, you just Jeb it. (laughs) Exactly, exactly. But not to be confused with uh, gibbets, which are the little things that you add on to uh, to Crocs. Oh, I um, Like the little buttons or, or little uh, like designs. So I'm learning. People decorate their cracks. They do. They do. It's a big thing. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so you're the CTO of this company. How did that come to be? Oh man. So I originally got involved. Um, like I said, it was it was founded out of a college dorm room. And my last semester of school, I got a cold email from Tom, the CEO, asking if. I would like to help out on this project called Jevit. And, you know, it was kind of winding down my coursework at that point. I had, I think I was taking three classes in an independent study, so I didn't have a ton to do. So I figured, yeah, why not? I'll uh, get a little bit of experience and then I'll go and get a real job. And about two months later, we got accepted to Techstars and Tom and one of the other co-founders, Jonathan, dropped out and, and you know, dropped out like months ahead of grad or months uh, before graduation. So I, I don't think I even got through the f- full sentence of asking my parents if I could follow them before we shot down. I think, uh, they, they kind of saw what I was asking and said immediately, Nope, not happening. So I finished out school and, and worked on Jevit like, you know, one to two full days a week and coming out of demo day, we got a little bit of funding and then it became a reality of this is something that we can pursue professionally and legitimately. Uh, so I just kind of put all notions of, you know, quote unquote, real job aside and, you know, put my head down and, and started working. But, you know, back then, you know, the you know, titles don't really matter at that point in time. We we're just trying to develop as much software as quickly as humanly possible. That is so cool. And then I know that I got to research it and look at it before, but it's basically surveys and you do analytics on them. Can you just, how do you describe it? Yeah, it's, it's, it's very, uh, malleable system. It can do a lot of different things, but, um, our two biggest use cases are, um, creating very chic interactive surveys and product finders. Um, if you think of the use case of say landing on an e-commerce website and they have, you know, linked to a quiz where they ask you five questions and they recommend, the right pair of jeans for you. And based on your responses, they will recommend you the product that they think best fits and then kind of push you towards a, a purchase or a conversion of that product. Um, they don't necessarily have to you know, push you know, to conversion. It can be more, a, a little bit more um, uh, fun or interactive. Like if you go to the NFL home, uh, home site, uh, you'll find like a little Jebit experience in there where it's basically asking you, you know, who do you think is going to win 
uh, the matchups this week. It's you know the mm-hmm. opening week of the NFL. Um, but what the what the NFL really cares about are the last two questions in there, which is what is your favorite team, and what is your your uh, personal information, name, and uh, email address. And once they have that, they're then able to more personal. Uh, they're they're able to personalize marketing. Um, so anything that comes to me will have Patriots uh, associated with it. Oh, nice. Yeah. And that's because you're in Boston? Yep, I'm in Boston. All right. And when did you fall in love with the Patriots? Uh, it, was, it was since birth. So I, I grew up in <laughs> Connecticut. Um, and Connecticut has this weird identity crisis where um, half the state thinks it belongs to New York and the other half mm-hmm. thinks it belongs to Boston. And I just happened to grow up on the uh, Boston <laughs> side of the state. Nice. And then now do you live in the city of Boston? Yep. Yep. Live right downtown. Um, so went to school here and then just fell in love with the city, never left. Nice. Very cool. So I'm curious about, you shared this trajectory of the growth of the business. Are you, where are you at currently? Are you still in survival mode, early stage funding mode? Are you in expansion and growth? Where are you at right now? We are in growth mode. Um, so about a year and a half ago, we took a significant round of funding from Vista Equity Partners. Um, so to to that point, we'd been venture funded, and this was you know our, our foray into uh, the the private equity markets, which is um, you know really when we wanted to to put our foot on the gas when it came to growth and just general maturation of the company. And to that end, they've been really amazing partners of really Im- imposing a lot of operational rigor on us making sure that we are tracking the right metrics, that we are hitting our targets and really holding us accountable. What type of war stories do you have from the growing pains of doing a startup? <laughs> uh, so yeah, I got, I got one good one. Um, so we were working with, and we, we were probably punching a little above our weight class at this point with uh, the, the level of brand that we were working with, but uh, say a nationally recognizable uh, athletic wear brand. And they had a, uh, a set of coupon codes. I think it was like you know, a thousand coupon codes that they wanted us to deliver to consumers that went through an experience. So they would answer you know five or six questions. They would provide their email address and then we would present them with a coupon code. And to that point, this is probably 2014 maybe. So it was very, very early days of the company, um, probably five or six of us. Um, so to that point, we had never really seen, you know, a thousand users go through any one of these experiences because we were working with a lot of, uh, a lot more like local uh, types of brands. And we were trying to push uh, our own audience, which was mostly college students to it. So it was a, a relatively small body of users that, uh, that, that we would advertise to. And overnight, this thing absolutely blew up and like, 10, 15,000 people went through it. And the next morning we go in, we're checking the numbers and everyone starts celebrating like, oh my God, we're seeing all this traffic. This is amazing. And I'm just sitting in the corner, like eyes wide, like having a full blown panic attack. And they look at me like, Matt, what's going on? What's wrong? It's like, guys, they only gave us a thousand coupon codes. And so there are like, you know, nine to 14,000 people out there you know, that don't have a coupon code. They were just given kind of a blank screen. And so we fire up the emails and there's just a, a deluge of angry emails from this company. You know, like you are over, like we have tons of users just overloading our support channels, asking for coupon codes, like what happened? And, you know, we came to realize we didn't have a shutoff mechanism to say, 
oh, well, we ran out of codes. Let's shut this one off, give a, uh, you know, a sorry message to the, the rest of the consumers, and then you know, maybe be able to, to still ask them questions. But it just didn't really occur to us. Um, and it was a, a great lesson in planning for the worst that day. Oh man, that was, that's a bittersweet day, isn't it? You sit there and you crush your yep. goals. You have more traffic than you ever have. But you know, those are my favorite types of problems. I tell people all the time, like I like it when you make the sale and you have to figure out how to deliver it. <laughs> because yep. it's if you're building a brand new product or you're starting out and you're doing something that's on the newer side, you can drive yourself crazy thinking of every single possible edge case. But yeah, that 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 is a uh, a great story, man. Yeah, it's it's one I uh, I constantly talk about when uh, when kind of presenting you know the the risks of a project of you know we don't want it to be that one because um, that that one definitely goes in in my personal hall of fame of screw ups. Well, so then now you know once bitten twice shy, right? So now when when you are building. How do you balance building enough versus overbuilding? Do you have a, a framework? Do you have a system or a set of processes that you use so that you know you're doing enough to not have that issue again, but you're not sitting there unable to deliver business value because you're thinking of every edge case? How do you handle that? Yeah, I, I would say a lot of the features that we build follow like a general maturity curve of we are we're you know we're still a relatively small organization. I think it's, we're about a hundred. Uh, full-time employees at the moment. So it, we're, we're nimble enough where we can build things really quickly and get them to market really quickly. Um, and when we do that, we we try to go through, you know, uh, kind of the, the internal alpha beta tests and make sure that what we're building, it, it, assuming it's, you know, significant enough new feature, uh, is is going to be accepted uh, by our, our users. They're going to, you know, they'll, they'll respond positively to it they'll get some value out of it and it actually works. And you know, we have a, a pretty solid base of customers who are really chomping at the bit to get access to those new feature sets. Uh, so that the interest level is there and we're able to you know, just you know, use that to our advantage to, to get them to test things out with the knowledge that they're not always going to be the most stable. And those are where we really find the holes in our thinking. And as we patch those up and get it ready for prime time and, and, you know, make sure it's going to be plenty scalable. That's when, you know, we will really just uh, do a double check and do a, you know, final risk assessment of, okay, what might else, what, what else might be, might we be overlooking there? And usually it, it goes off without a hitch after we get to that point. And so you're at about a hundred people now? Correct. So what when when you're looking at your next generation of leaders as you continue to grow the business, uh, get new customers, private equity, when you're looking at your next generation, your next layer of leaders, what sort of tra- what traits or habits stand out so that when you see this happening you think, "Oh, I should spend some time with that person and invest in them because they're going to do well long term." Let's say it's a combination of curiosity and initiative that I really cling to like when I see those two qualities in someone, that's when my eyes really light up and I want to just, you know, pick their brain endlessly and, you know, do everything I can to, to help see them succeed. Um, so, you know, curiosity is just getting involved in parts of the business that, you know, may be a little bit outside of, uh, of their general purview, 
but you know, just because they want to and and they're just you know want to do a little bit of exploration um and then the initiative is you know when you when you see something wrong either you know raise your hands make note of it and then try to try to fix it i'm curious to talk about I saw on the prep, it really caught my attention about this cookie-less world concept, mostly because while my background is a software engineer, I haven't been actively doing it since the podcast got popular for the past like three or four years. So I've been keeping up with it on a, on a daily basis. But web applications were a, a big area of where I spent my time. I'm curious, what, what are they talking about third-party cookies? Like Third what's party, going yes. on? Okay, so explain to me, like a child, what the third-party cookie is and then why they're going away and what's making them go away. So effectively what a, what a third-party cookie is, is, you know, it, let's say you're on, um, say you're on Reddit and on the sidebar, you know, there's an, some sort of advertisement, some sort of banner ad. Um, that banner ad, let's say it's coming from Google. In in kind of the, the old worlds, Google would be able to put a cookie on your web browser within the within Reddit um, or like while you're on the, the Reddit website and then use that as a means to track you across you know, different web properties. Then let's say you went to Facebook or um, I guess Google uh, is, is owned by Google or Wikipedia or, or any of these other websites. Google would effectively be able to identify, oh, it's Joel. Oh, it's Joel again. And just kind of figure out what your interests are from that. And so Safari has already nixed third-party cookies entirely. I forget if Firefox has, but I would assume it probably has as well. Um, ultimately, it's uh, Google and Chrome that have been the last pillar to, to fall in, uh, in, the, in the browser space. And actually, I got the update for it yesterday um, when I updated my Chrome. Uh, There's a little pop-up that said, oh, uh, you are now going to be opted into the Topics API, uh, which mm-hmm. is Google's answer to the third-party cookie deprecation. I think, so originally Chrome had a, a deprecation date of like the beginning of this year. Then I think they kicked it out to the end of 2024, if memory serves. Um, I'm sure we could we, we could look that up. Um, but uh, effectively, the Topics API is uh, a way to more anonymously collect this information at the browser level and use it as a means to still continue to serve relevant advertisements to users on the internet. Um, Mozilla and Apple are, are still holding out and refusing to adopt the API. Uh, so, so first quarter, 2021, 24. Oh, sorry, 2024. Um, so yeah, hasn't hasn't happened quite yet. But oh, for it is... one for one percent of Chrome users. Oh, so interesting. Just... Yeah, I wonder <laughs> when when it's all going to fall. Yeah, well, it makes sense. Look, if they own the, one of the most popular browsers in the world, why are they even messing around with third party cookies? You could, I, I know why they are because you can get a ton of traffic, but you just put something in Chrome, right? Yep, and that's that's effectively what they're doing with the uh, the topics API. Yeah. Uh, it just doesn't sound like it's going to be supported by Firefox or Safari in the the near future. Um, I think they're just continued privacy concerns over over that, and they don't want to necessarily go back on their word of you know deprecating third party cookies if it's replaced by something that's you know not like also not very privacy minded. Yeah, or were they going for intent? 
concepts, like when they call it topics API, makes me think they're trying to just I, intent data is a huge thing that they sell, right? Yeah, so that's what exactly. they're looking for then, exactly. Okay. Or you know, just general topics that you're interested in. Okay, yeah. And so that's going away. Are there a th- is there a thing called second party cookie? I understand first party cookies. Like I've just you're on my site. It's my cookie. Are there second party cookies or is third party just the way it sounds because it's a concept people are under familiar with? Yeah, it's just with. Uh, first okay. and third. All right, cool. I didn't know. Um, all right. So is that going to impact your business at all, or do you not dependent on those? Not dependent at all. Uh, so this this is actually a stance that we took pretty early on. Um, when we were trying to find our our niche in the marketing tech space is we wanted to be the place where consumers could come and actively share pieces of data with a given brand and only share those pieces of data with a brand. Uh, so it's you know, what we called uh, you know, zero party or first party declared data. Uh, it's all kind of a bit of a bit of alphabet soup at at times of you know what you know what a piece of data actually is. Um, but the, the idea is that you can you know, proactively share your interests, your preferences, your intent with a given brand and allow them to use that data in the moment to provide you with a more personalized experience. Um, okay. So it's, it's meant to be much more symbiotic versus uh, uh, traditional ad tech is more about kind of you know looking over your shoulder observing what you're doing on the internet and then trying to provide you with uh, things that it thinks is relevant um, we took the approach of just asking oh okay that make that's a simple way to do it <laughs> Josh maybe you can help me remember who this was but we talked to this one company they're like the the second largest search company in the world and as, as far as like request goes like Algolia have you heard of these people yet I have not Okay, so they do a lot of search, and you can you can look them up. Uh, but one of the things that I thought was interesting is an area of business that they were getting into was product recommendations. So if you go on a site and you're looking for jeans, and you're like, "Hey, I'm looking for these types of jeans," it would help you find those products better because it's commerce searching. And I didn't know if you had explored them at all. No, we actually we actually have not. So thank you for uh, yeah for turning me on to them. Yeah, I recommend you check them out because like they have really bright people and they uh, they it was cool that we did an episode with them. I can send it to you. But I when I heard what they were doing with search and AI, because you know everybody wants to talk about AI, right? It's yep. like you can't have an interview in twenty three without bringing up AI. And so I was curious if it, ha- it had impacted them at all. And this is one of the things that they were using it for was apparently in commerce there's this problem where if i go to a website and i'm searching for a, like a specific product it, it's just the product searching isn't that good like to find nearby products or things that might you know uh and, and this was one of the solutions to it and when you were talking earlier about you would fill out five questions and it would recommend a product i was like oh matt should go check out what these guys are doing just so at least you're aware of the different techniques people are using in the industry to do this different types of product recommendation cool yeah oh i appreciate that yeah Uh, are you currently using ai (laughs) yeah we are or or how how are you using it so at its heart jebit is a creative platform so um the, the the big appeal is you can create these interactive experiences on the web without needing a development team um so it's you know WYSIWYG editing uh low code no code and you can get you know 
very you can customize it quite a bit and you can really format the content however however your heart desires so to that end you know generative ai plays in pretty well to that because it is a creative platform so we are using it to help create these experiences from scratch like if you just need a little bit of inspiration you can you know prompts you know a, a large language model to basically set ask it for five questions to recommend you know pair of jeans out of my product feed and it'll be able oh, nice. to create that um, and then on kind of the the, the more consumer facing side of it uh, we're still kind of actively working on this one um, but we are we are live with a couple of alpha customers um, you we do have the ability to you know based on the the responses that a user gives us just recommend a product you know based on that particular information uh, before like the the product as it stands now it requires a, a set of mapping. Uh, so, you know, based on uh, the questions and answers, you're very explicitly kind of mapping those answers to a particular set of products and kind of narrowing down your search over time. Uh, the the AI solution to this just does that, but without all of the, that manual labor that's required there. So the idea is that it can provide you know, better recommendations with less effort, and that will just lower the barrier to entry for these brands to uh, create these and, and deploy them and we'll give better recommendation to the consumers. Are any podcasters using this technology? I don't believe so. No? They engage with their audiences at all or anything like that? We we were exploring uh, like a partnership with someone who had a pretty large Twitch channel um, mm -hmm. where it would like, you know, they would pop up a link and, uh, you know, like push someone into a Jebit experience to try and collect information and, and learn more about their consumer base. Uh, but it never really got off the, uh, off the ground there. Uh, we, we really have specialized within the space of CPG and e-commerce. What's, um, and what's then, that acronym? Oh, uh, consumer packaged goods. Okay. Uh, so you know, the, uh, pretty much if you go into a grocery store, uh, the, the, the brands that you see there. Um, that are oh. you're creating your your cereal, your toilet paper, your toothpaste. Yeah, yeah. I I did. Uh, I had a conversation with somebody about I don't know five years ago, and I thought it was fascinating. They worked with a fertilizer company, I believe it was, and th that's why they would use rebates because the fertilizer companies would ship all this fertilizer out to these big warehouses, and farmers would come buy it, but they had no idea who their customers were. Right, they didn't know exactly who they were, so they would put these like twenty dollar rebate in it, and they fill out their name, address, information, and then send the rebate in. And now they know where their customers are, and they can talk directly to their customers. Oh, that, that's smart. Yeah, is that something like you guys do? Is that one of the reasons? Yeah. Why so I mean, with uh, with going to a virtual world and, and the boom uh, or the resurgence of the QR code, we have had customers put uh, QR codes that lead to Jebit experiences directly on their products, which is pretty awesome to just be walking through a grocery store and see, you know, it's like, oh, that at least Jebit. Nice. Yeah. Dude, this is so cool. So what's next for you? Like, what are you really excited about as far as the future of Jebit goes? Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm just along for the ride trying to grow this company as, uh, as large as we possibly can. Uh, this is the most amazing first job that I could ever have imagined. Uh, just kind of having started from, you know, the, those humble beginnings in a college dorm room, it's been just, just incredible to, to see the amazing people that we've gotten to, to join, join us and the, the product that we've built, the customers that we get to interact with, uh, day to day, week to week. And I just want to 
want to keep it moving. I've uh, just really enjoyed everything that I've learned and, you know, don't, I'm, I'm not quite at the point where I'm, I'm looking at, you know, like what's, what's next. I think it's uh, just continuing, continuing to grow. You're excited and you're in growth mode. Yeah. Awesome. Well, as you continue to learn and things change, you guys grow. When you're a billionaire and you're doing your exit and all of that, give me a call. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much for listening. And if you found this episode useful, please share it with a friend or a colleague who you think would get value from it. And if you have topics that you'd like to hear discussed on the podcast, either add me on LinkedIn or send me an email, joel at moderncto.io. Every time I get an email or LinkedIn message, it absolutely makes my day and inspires me to keep going.